Tonight I'd like to share with you some reflections on uh, loving kindness. And it's uh, a practice for many of you who have come here regularly know that often at the end of our, our kind of silent, half partial guided retreat. Hey, Juana, could you keep that door open just a little bit? Maybe yeah. even quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Even a little bit more would be great. Just I think we're going to need some air. Yeah. Um, Hey, JB, could you keep that, open the door a little bit more? Great, thanks a lot. That would be great, thanks, Laura. Thanks. So as I was saying, I, uh, tonight I'd like to share some reflections on this uh, quality, loving kindness. It's a quality of heart that uh, really is foundational on this uh, particular spiritual path. And as I mentioned, um, often, you know, at the end of our sits, we have this 10-minute guided meditation. And in the, that 10-minute guided meditation, usually there's a, a guided meditation around uh, these four qualities of heart. The first one is loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And in early Buddhism, they're known as the Brahma Viharas. And there are these qualities of heart that lead to uh, freedom. Uh, in particular, there's a Pali word, Pali being the early scriptural language of Buddhism, uh, called Chetto Vimuti, which is this, it's the, the liberation of the heart or the liberation of the mind. And I think that's the first thing I want to point out is, is practicing loving kindness and having the experience of, of a heart that's filled with kindness and not complication is a taste of liberation. That's the kind of liberation that we're exploring and talking about here. Namely, a, a liberation where the mind isn't entangled with you know, greed, hatred, and delusion, or we could say reactivity, obsessive grasping or obsessive pushing away in some kind of manner. And also, uh, I wanted to take some time with this to also point out that Really, these Monday nights is a chance for us to, and again, the, the important word is explore here, explore the spiritual path, which is more than just about being present. It's about an entire path, which has different facets to it, which is, you know, the exploration of ethical conduct, these other qualities of heart, and of course, mindfulness, and other aspects. And as I always like to mention, the important word is exploration. You know, it's not about coming to believe a certain way of believing, but more you investigating to see if it's aligned. Does it have relevance for your life? Does it actually lead to more freedom, to more ease in your life or not? And the only way to find that out is to experiment and then to decide for yourself. So I'd like to begin with a story, a story of the power of kindness. It's to me, a, a striking story. I heard it on a, a, po a podcast, of course. <laughs> um, this was quite a few years ago. So you could say, once upon a time, on a summer evening, evening, maybe a summer evening like this, a group of eight friends, or kind of these uh, couple different families got together in the backyard of one of these, uh, these people, and they had kind of a gathering, a party. Um, in the evening, a summer evening, and you know they're having, sharing food together, drinking wine, and just really connecting. And as the evening went on, around 10 p.m., um, what happened is somebody had sneaked into 
their, the backyard with them and pulled a gun on them. And this man had a gun at first to uh, the head of one of the women. And he was basically saying, uh, uh, give me all your money. You know, give me all your money or somebody's going to get shot. And they were in a conundrum because none of them had money at that moment. There was no cash on them whatsoever. And, you know, in retrospect, all of them were kind of thinking, what do we do right now in this situation? This is a, a threatening situation. Somebody has a gun to someone's head. And, you know, they tried a few different things with this guy. Nothing was really working. And it was actually the woman who had the gun uh, to her head said to him out of the blue, you know what? We're just hanging out and celebrating. Would you like a glass of wine and just to hang out with us? And the guy looked at her and said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he has the glass of wine. They're like, hey, would you like some cheese and some food? And they start chatting. And really, just having this quality of kindness towards this individual. And then he said a surprising thing. He said, I must have come, I think I've come to the wrong place. And they're like, oh, you know, that's okay. You know, let's just, just, just hang out. And, you know, and by that time, luckily, he'd put his gun back into his pocket. <laughs> and they continue to kind of hang out underneath the, the, the starry night. And, and after a while, he says something else that's quite striking. He says, um, I'm wondering if one of you could give me a hug. And so one of the women came up and gave him a hug. And then another, another guy came up and really gave him a hug and really connected with him. And then he said, could we have a group hug? And so they have this group hug and really connect. And he says, thank you, and leaves. When I heard that story, it made me realize how powerful kindness can be. Like that woman and making that offering in that situation switched the entire situation in a moment. And what did she do? She connected with them. It was like she saw that this is a good person here, and I'm going to treat them like a good person. And something changed there. What I found in my own life is kindness is really powerful. And yes, of course, I'm not universalizing this. I'm not saying that you should try that every time that somebody's <laughs> you're being held at gunpoint. And, you know, I don't know what works. But in this particular situation, in these particular conditions, we can see the power of that. And probably some of you have noticed the power of kindness in your own life, either the expression of it or the experience of when somebody's really kind to you. So again, this is so important also for a spiritual path. So loving kindness, what is it? The Pali word uh, for loving kindness is metta. And it's uh, uh, connected to the Sanskrit word mitra, which usually means friend. And so sometimes people translate this word meaning friendliness, a heart quality of friendliness or kindness. 
And it's also connected with this verb majati, which I think is really interesting, which means to fill up or to fatten. And sometimes practicing loving kindness, there can be a, a sense of being filled with this really sweet quality of, of kindness. So there's something about that also, I think. And it's said in the, this is in kind of the commentaries, that the proximate cause, so the proximate cause is that which um, will cause this quality of heart to arise, or is one of the conditions that can be really helpful. And it said the proximate cause is seeing the goodness or lovableness in others. You probably hear that sometimes when I've done the guided meditation, is beginning to seeing the goodness in another being or seeing the goodness in yourself. And often when I touch the goodness of someone, if, if I just see someone, I was like, wow, this person is so good. Right there, there's the feeling of kindness. You know what I'm talking about? When you, when you meet someone or some being and you're aware of their goodness, how immediately there can be a sense of warmth, of kindness there. So it, it immediately follows. And I, I like to know the proximate cause because that's what I try to hone in on or try to open up to if this is something I want to cultivate in the heart. And as I mentioned, this is, you know, connected to the liberation of the heart and mind. When, 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 I, when my heart's filled with ki kindness, I'm not troubled. I'm at ease. It feels really good. There's something really freeing about it. Even when there's just a, a fullness of kindness towards myself, it feels different than being obsessed with myself or being self-centered. It has a different feeling, and I'm sure many of you know this when you've had the experience of kindness. And I, I want to point out an important aspect about this, and this comes from Sharon Salzberg. She says, seeing the goodness in someone does not imply ignoring their difficult qualities or unskillful actions. So I think that's really important. This is not being Pollyannish around this. Rather, we can fully acknowledge these difficulties while at the same time we choose to focus on the positive. If we focus on the negative, we will naturally feel anger, resentment, or disappointment. If we focus on the positive, we will forge a connection to the person. Then, as we look at their negative traits or actions, we do it as their friend. If two friends are looking at such difficult things, they do so standing side by side. I find there's a lot of wisdom to this. It's not a, about ignoring difficulty or unskillfulness. It's about having a skillful approach towards it, whether it be with another person or with myself. I mean, often, you know, the, my relationship with myself is just a mirror of how I'm relating to others. And often, when I come across my own difficulties, I would say often, I'm not very kind with myself around my difficulties. I am not my friend. Have you ever noticed what that's like when you face one of your difficulties when you're not your friend? It's a bad scene. At least it is in here. I don't know about in there, but in here it's a bad scene. And that's, you know, what we'll get to again is just the, the power of kindness towards ourselves. You know what I... Maybe one more thing about that. When I did a a month long, I did a month long retreat um, once where 
the practice I did every day when I woke up to when I went to sleep was um, loving kindness practice. And it was a really powerful experience. Not so much because it was about having dramatic experiences of kindness. Rather, it was powerful in the sense of what it did to the mind. It made the mind, because of that making that habit, it had more of a propensity to be kind, or I had more access to be kind. So of course, I still have difficulties. But then there was something, it was like the tool was closer to me to bring up. And I think that was the most powerful thing about it. Of course, you can have all kinds of groovy experiences with meditation, but it might not change the way you are in the world. But with the repetition, there it is. That tool is right there, both for myself and others. Also, uh, in early Buddhism, the uh, uh, loving kindness is talked about as a protection, which is really interesting. Like there's one uh, discourse of, of the Buddha where he talks about how it's a protection from snakes, poisonous snakes. And, and I remember this coming up when I was practicing in Burma. Actually, I was on another long three-month retreat, and there was a young monk from Indonesia. And uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't the most silent monk <laughs> during the silent retreat. Sometimes I'd be slowly walking back to my goody doing walking meditation, and then he'd be like, hey, Hey, Brian, you know what's going on? He's <laughs> a great guy. So he was telling me one day, really interesting stories, actually. So one day, um, so we were in these huts or these kutis, and it was in, in Burma. And so uh, the, you'd have all kinds of creatures living with you, <laughs> very interesting creatures. And in his kuti in the bathroom, a lot of times they'd come up into the bathroom through the drains. He had this very large snake. And, um, and knowing that, you know, Burma has a, I don't, I don't know if this is poisonous, poisonous or not, but Burma does have a whole host of quite poisonous snakes. So he was concerned and he went to uh, the main teacher of that retreat, uh, the teacher by the name of Saida Upandita. Because he's like, what should I do with the snake in my room? <laughs> and I don't know if anybody knows the personality of Saida Upandita, but Saida Upandita is so, I mean, he's so driven about awakening and freedom and, and in the mind, and he, and he said, um, all you need to do is practice loving kindness. That's it. Just practice loving kindness, everything will be okay. Go back, go back to your practice. <laughs> I know, I thought, I don't know about that, but. Uh, <laughs> Offering wine or whatever? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that would have been better, and some cheese. <laughs> and a group hug. <laughs> so there's the other aspects, right, of uh, the protection. <laughs> But when I reflected on it more, for Saida Upandita, what was the protection he was most concerned about was the protection around the monk and his own mind. So it was about being protected from fear and the sometimes unskillful actions that can come out of fear. And if, of course, Saida Upandita is a little bit extreme about these things. But I really started to realize that so much when I heard this teacher speak, he was, when he talked about protection, it was like being protected from your own mind. You know, so often protection is thought of, of how can I protect myself from the outer world, which of course has its benefits. But it's interesting to start to walk around and to reflect on how can I protect myself from my own mind at times? Because maybe you've noticed how much trouble we can get ourselves in with our own minds. And it's kindness that offers a protection. It is a protection that I've noticed 
around my own mind. That is life-saving in a lot of ways. So yes, Saida Upandita is extreme, and I appreciate this, this pointing towards this inner protection. Yeah. Also, I want to point out that uh, kindness doesn't always necessarily mean nice. And this is important because often what can happen, you could even say culturally in meditation groups, is there can be the sense of that we always have to be quote unquote nice. But sometimes being nice is not a very kind thing. I remember this being pointed out to me. There was a there was a teacher that was doing some really unskillful things, you know, in the community I was in. And one of my colleagues, what he said about this teacher was really interesting. He, he, he had this sad look on him and he said, oh, that teacher, wow, I can tell that teacher doesn't have any good friends. So what did he mean by that? He didn't have good friends to call him out on his behavior. So that's what a kind friend would do. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to do that with one of your friends to say, wow, it's, it looks like you're going down the wrong direction. We need to have like a, a little bit of a talking right here, which might not be a, a nice conversation, but it'd be a really kind conversation. Or another example is, you know, if a, a kid is a bully, you might have to have some really strong interventions not only for the benefit of other kids, but for the, that child themselves. What a, a, a tragic thing or an unfortunate thing to have to live with, the, the unskillful things that you do to other people. So again, kindness doesn't always mean nice. Sometimes it does, but sometimes not. It's really about seeing the goodness in others and wishing them well, and that wishing well can have different flavors to it. There's another facet around kindness is, is there is a power, there's such a power around kindness. And I want to share another story that really exemplifies the power of kindness. But hopefully you'll hear in this also how sometimes it can be really challenging to fully allow the kindness from someone else in uh, because it can be so powerful. And maybe some of you experience this just because there can be such an overlap between kindness and generosity. And the, the receiving sometimes of kindness is uh, sometimes more difficult than the offering, especially when the offering is really powerful and moving. So I'd like to share with you a, a story. This came from the New York Times. It's a, it's a little dated. It's from 2011. So I'm just going to read it to you, this, this story. It's by Justin Horner. He says, During this past year, I've had three instances of car trouble, a blowout on a freeway, a bunch of blown fuses, and an out-of-gas situation. They all happened while I was driving other people's cars, which for some reason makes it worse on an emotional level. And he said, And you know who came to my rescue all three times? Immigrants. Mexican immigrants, none of them spoke English. 
One of the guys stopped to help me with the blowout even though he had his whole family of four in tow. I was on the side of the road for close to three hours with my friend's big Jeep. I put signs in the windows, big, big signs that said, need a jack, and offered money. Nothing. And right as I was about to give up and start hitching, a van pulled over and the guy bounded out. He sized up the situation and called for his daughter, who spoke English. I started taking the wheel off, and then, if you can believe it, I broke his tire iron. It was one of those collapsible ones, and I wasn't careful, and I snapped the head clean off. Damn. No worries, he ran to the van and handed it to his wife, and she was gone in a flash down the road to buy a new tire iron. She was back in 15 minutes. We finished the job with a little sweat and cussing, and I was a very happy man. The two of us were filthy and sweaty. His wife produced a large water jug for us to wash our hands in. I tried to put a 20 in the man's hand, but he wouldn't take it. So instead, I went up to the van and gave it to his wife as quietly as I could. I thanked them up one side and down the other. I asked the little girl where they lived, thinking maybe I sent them a gift for being so awesome. She, she said they lived in Mexico. They were in Oregon so mommy and daddy could pick cherries for the next few weeks. Then they were going to pick peaches, then go back home. After I said my goodbyes and started walking back to the Jeep, the girl called out and asked if I had had lunch. When I told her no, she ran up and handed me a tamale. <clears throat> this family, undoubtedly poorer than just about everyone else on that stretch of highway, working on a seasonal basis where time is money, took a couple of hours out of their day to help a strange guy on the side of the road while people in tow trucks were just passing him by. But we weren't done yet. I thanked them again and walked back to my car and opened the foil on the tamale. I was starving by this point. And what did I find inside? My $20 bill. <laughs> I whirled around and ran to the van and the guy rolled down his window. He saw the $20 in my hand and just started shaking his head no. All I could think to say was, por favor, por favor, por favor with my hands out. The guy just smiled and with what looked like great concentration said in English, today you, tomorrow me. Then he rolled up his window and drove away with his daughter waving to me from the back. I sat in my car eating the best tamale I ever had and I just started to cry. It had been a rough year Nothing seemed to break my way. This was out of left field, and I just couldn't handle it. In the several months since then, I've changed a couple of tires, given a few rides to gas stations, and once drove 50 miles out of my way to get a girl to an airport. I won't accept money, but every time I'm able to help, I feel as if I'm putting something in the bank.
kindness is so powerful. It's a quality of a heart that really transforms this world that we're living in. It's not a small thing. So where do we begin this practice? How do we do this practice? So I want to take some time just to talk about that, the, the, the nuts and bolts of doing this practice. <clears throat> so a lot of the way that uh, this practice is taught in this tradition comes from this commentary of the Vasudhimaga. And in there, it's interesting, and, and I'll show, show, tell you why there's a variation from the instructions there. And there it's said to start with oneself, <clears throat> because there's a, a quote from the Buddha, again in one of these discourses where he says, the, the one who loves themselves will never harm another person. Which I find really interesting. Like if I, if I am truly kind to myself, there's no way I'd want to hurt someone, especially because of how it impacts me as well. Like that's what it is to be kind to myself, to be fully kind is, is I won't go in that direction. And it gives us stability for that kindness to come from a real and authentic place. So the, the kind of traditional practice is to start with ourselves. And yet, what has been found, especially in modern times, is that there can be such a difficulty being kind to oneself. It's so challenging that it's been switched up, which I think is interesting. I think it's sometimes a, a critique on or a commentary on what's happened in these modern times and how we treat ourselves. <clears throat> so it's switched with uh, an, uh, a, another category, which is called the category of the benefactor, which is kind of confusing because these are instructions for monastics. The benefactor in a monk's life would be the person who, if the monk gets or, or the nun gets ill, uh, the benefactor would take care of them and is always giving them gifts and supporting them. So it's really a person where it's super easy to find a quality of goodness. We want to start where it's easy. It's like just like basketball, right? You want to start really close to the hoop. <laughs> so you get a feeling of what it's like to make the basket. That's what we're looking for. And then after that, going towards ourselves. And then there's other categories. Usually, we probably won't get them to them tonight and during the guided, but the, you kind of, you'll see the gradation. Then you go to a dear friend, because that's usually the next easiest. Then to a neutral person. So someone you know, maybe at work, but you don't have a good feeling. You don't have a neither negative feeling or a positive feeling about them. And then lastly, the difficult person or what's called the hostile person. And, uh, and to, to really have kindness uh, towards a hostile person, the phrase is used is to break down the barriers, to break down the barriers for the sense of connection. And remembering what Sharon Salzberg said, it's not about dismissing unskillful action. It's about having a different relationship with the, with the person without ignoring those difficulties. 
often when it's taught, like when I ta teach it here, we do use phrases like, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe. And sometimes that can help with starting to get a feeling for it. Probably the most important thing to remember about the practice of loving kindness, which has been really important to me, is that when I actually do the practice, sometimes I feel kindness and sometimes I don't. That's just the way it is. That's what it is to practice anything. Is sometimes you're going to feel it and sometimes you don't. And if every time you don't feel it, you give yourself a hard time, it's probably not the best way to kind of move ahead with kindness because it's kind of like going down the wrong route in terms of that. So I want to normalize that is, is um, you know, for example, Sharon Salzberg t t tells a story of uh, someone who is on a, I think a week long or a weekend uh, loving kindness retreat. And this person didn't feel any kindness for the entire retreat. And then maybe a couple months afterwards, they wrote to Sharon and said, you know, it actually ended up being so transformative because it's now more accessible to me because of the repetition, just as I was saying. So it was the repetitive quality of it that allowed it to start to, to permeate into this person's life. So yeah, sometimes we use these phrases like, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe. And the primary emphasis around this, this practice is, is that it's here to transform this heart. So I'm saying these phrases towards this other person, but it's about conditioning this heart in a particular way. And sometimes feel, people feel like they feel like a conduit, like the kindness is just flowing through them when it's happening. And sometimes the question arises, you know, does sending loving kindness, this sense of kindness to another being, does that affect them? Does it, is there some way, does, does Buddhism talk about that in some kind of way, or is that possible? And um, I don't know. So, and, and I mean that fully, I don't know. Because sometimes the way I don't know is used is, I don't know, no. <laughs> is, is, it's been helpful for me to just keep that open. You know, the, the word's out about that one. We, we haven't had a conclusive study to say that it doesn't happen. And we don't have a conclusive study to say that there is any kind of effect either, I don't think. So I, 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 I just want to be clear. I'm, I'm not taking sides, and then you can decide for yourself. And in terms of the practice, you know, so much of it is talked about, about transforming this heart. And then the impact of the world, then, then we get to see. Okay, so we'll, um, we'll practice that, you know, once we get to the end. And right now what we'll do is we'll uh, take some time with the meditation. And what we'll do is we'll come back to mindfulness meditation for the first half hour. But uh, it's going to be an emphasis on seeing if there can be a quality of kindness in the heart while you're being mindful. And I'll say a little bit more about that. But right now I just invite you to maybe stand up, stretch, move around. And then in just a minute we'll begin to uh, sit silently with one another with a little bit of guidance. 